Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosowski, here as usual with my favorite critic, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you doing today? Great. How are you? I am doing well. We're in the midst of, I guess, award season, so all these big titles are coming fast and furious. Mm, and it's great. It's, you know, right in time for holiday season. Yep. So people are getting ready to sit back, go to the movies, or sit at home, watch some movies while you're wrapping presents, while you're making plans for whatever festivities. Anyway, it's the end of the year, so it's a good time to just relax and take in the season. And it's hibernation season because, yeah, it's cold outside in Canada anyway. Mm -hmm. So, perfect. Uh, Let's start off with something that has just come out in theaters. It's a a good big screen movie to see. Um, You know, it's got all the, like, luscious photography and the amazing sound and uh it is called maestro it's directed by and starring bradley cooper and it's about the life and times of leonard bernstein and it is yeah so it's a, a pretty typical biopic focusing on the individual and the main relationship in his life which is with his wife felicia however uh, as a lot of great artists from that 20th century were, I guess, or I don't know if it's always been this way with artists, but a lot of them were philanderers, fooling around, cheating, all that. So this film decides to focus a lot on his cheating. Uh, but he was, uh, it's also trying to argue that he was this great American genius artist. Um, and I am going to argue that it doesn't do the second part enough that it focuses on the philandering a lot um, and his philandering with men. And I'm going to immediately tell you that I am really sick and tired of straight men portraying gay men or bisexual men in this case, because I don't know Leonard Bernstein. I really wanted to know Leonard Bernstein. I know a biopic is not going to teach me about Leonard Bernstein. But I think he deserves, or his memory, if you're going to argue about his genius, deserves more than this stereotypical gay flamboyant. This is how straight white men portray gay men. Baloney. I know, I know in my heart of hearts, it deserves much better than that. And that every gay man that I know deserves much better than that. Because I don't care how flamboyant an individual is, there's a hell of a lot more going on in that individual than just that flamboyant side of them. Philandering or not, I don't care if they're obsessed with sex. That may be part of their story. But in this film, it comes at the cost of story. It comes at the cost of building tension. It comes at the cost of building relationships. Yeah, maybe Leonard Bernstein did ruin a lot of relationships or mess up like with his family because he had three children with his wife. So there's like, there's this development through time, but there isn't a narrative development enough. It's gorgeous to look at. Like I said, it sounds amazing. It uses the music that Bernstein conducted and he created himself, it doesn't focus enough on his creative energy. He is the person who wrote the music for West Side Story, for just one example, doesn't use like enough. 
what it does at the beginning is it starts off with such promise, giving you a sense of this energetic young individual who's full of life and full of vitality, vitality and creativity and just wants his chance to conduct, but also has all the, of this genius to give. But it doesn't show us anything. It tells us a lot, but it doesn't. And this is cinema. Cinema is visual. So you're supposed to show us things, not tell us things, Mr. Bradley Cooper, director, star, egomaniac at the center of this egomaniacal project. I think I should stop because otherwise I'm going to just keep blasting on. No, it's, it's, it's interesting. Cooper. You know, Bradley, Bradley so Cooper. With him. I feel like this is, was a missed opportunity. Bradley so Cooper has been uh, receiving so much love and praise that it's, you know, your vitriol is, is almost refreshing to, to hear. Cause I, I was not a fan of this film either at, at the beginning it was very promising. Um, there's some great overhead shots. Stylistically, there's a, a lush kind of classic cinema feel to it, especially at the beginning. And, you know, you get a glimpse of him kind of composing the mu the music for On the Waterfront. Uh, uh, not On the Waterfront, sorry. Um, on the Town, the film On the Town. He also did work on um, the music for On the Waterfront. And you just get this sense of life and like you kind of see the creative process unfolding in his mind and then the film kind of hits a thud and and shifts yes and yes it does oh my what, god <laughs> what really ends up happening is you become more engaged with um his wife felicia who's played by carrie mulligan and how she is trying to cope with a man who is not only not giving her the love that she needs and she kind of knew this going into the relationship that he was a little self-centered but now she's also dealing with the fact that his numerous affairs are starting to slip into public conversation and their children are starting to be impacted by it so her story is fascinating the way how she's constantly observing she's always either observing him performing observing him as the philanderer or just kind of quietly watching as she's internalizing all this pain. That is really fascinating. But I, similar to you, I knew, I learned very little about him being a conductor. At the very end, you see him kind of teaching the next generation. It's like, yes, we know he was a brilliant mind, but you did not really convey in a way that showed how that mind worked how that mind even got there if you can do a like a snapshot of a of an individual's life that's fine but the snapshot that you sh showed me was simply he couldn't give himself to just one person but also he was deeply afraid of being alone there's another film that came out this year called passages which covers a similar theme but does it so much better and the the central character of passages is a man who is in a um, relationship with his partner, and he cheats on his male partner with a woman. And him juggling between these two people and how it has damaging effects. But again, at the core of it, it's a man whose urges and needs are put forth first, and everything else around him 
kind of comes second and that damages everything else around him this is it's the exact same thing as in the in the maestro but that film passages does it so much better maestro mm. looks great there mm. are some wonderful performances but by the end of it it just felt really hollow i didn't feel like i really learned anything about why this individual was so great despite all the great works that he has done in his life Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And what's interesting about you bringing up passages was, um, I don't know if we're done with uh, Maestro yet. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. But uh, Rustin, Rustin, the main character. Now, this is a biopic as well. It's a different kind of biopic, mm-hmm. thankfully. <laughs> and, uh, but this individual, you know, it, it shows the rise of a great person, a great man in this case, and who also had that insecurity at the core of his being who also was afraid of being alone and who also needed to find love in other people's arms which like was in that case was many different pairs of arms right he also could not commit to one person and that was an issue in terms of at least one central relationship that he had with someone and he's also a gay character but in this case, play, being played by an open, openly gay man. And I'm not saying like, that that's like the be all in the end all. I'm just saying that the film gives Coleman Domingo as Rustin um, a much better context. And Coleman Domingo infuses his character with much more grace than Bradley Cooper knows how to do. In ter- so that's just in terms of performances. But um, I'll, let, I'll let you like start us off in terms of the... Like I just segued into Rustin just because of that no, similarity no, of, of the at the core of the characters, mm-hmm. but I'll let you. Um... No, no, that's a, a a pretty good introduction. You know, Rustin is a film by George C. Wolfe, and it basically chronicles uh, the life of activist Bayard Rustin um, and his and specifically his time leading up to the planning and execution of the um, 1963 March on Washington, where many people know, because outside of it being just a, an epic civil rights march, it was also the location where Martin Luther King had the famous speech that has been quoted to death, and I shall not quote here, but <laughs> uh, it what this film does is it shows you how Rustin as a openly gay black man in a time where even being openly gay was a was a crime was dealing with fractured friendships that he had with um, Martin Luther King Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. partly because outside forces were getting in Dr. King's ear and you know questioning whether or not a religious man like himself should be associating with a man like Rustin again because of his sexuality but then also you had stuff like the NAACP the the heads of that kind of butting heads with Rustin over how do you approach um activism and movements there's a you know Rustin was in many ways a forward thinker he was thinking outside the box ways to get young and old together to really boycott whereas the institutions the establishments want to kind of play things a little safer um so you have that kind of conflict going on throughout the film and I I enjoyed this film. Um, I didn't love it the way I thought I was, but it's still a very good film. And I think for me, this film is very much along the lines of Selma, where it does a good job of telling history. Um, It's filled with wonderful performances. As you mentioned, Domingo is is fantastic in, in this film. 
I just felt the structure of it plays it rather safe in terms of its telling. Like it follows a lot of the the trappings of a traditional biopic, and I kind of wished for a little more stylistic flair. But for what it is, and because this is a story that I'm sure a lot of people will not have known, um, it's definitely worth watching. Yeah, I I did enjoy this one. And uh, I definitely enjoyed it much more than Maestro as a film Mm -hmm. um, in terms of building up a sense of the person, building up a sense of the events. Like there were, you know, like I was arguing in in Maestro, there's no sense of like uh, building off his career or anything. There's no sense of uh, building a narrative. Um, But yeah, following traditional biopic beats and plots and tropes. Yeah, okay. But there was still a sense because of maybe because of the story itself, um, it the story itself had enough tension and thrill because this was a time um, when it just being trying to organize a march on Washington and being black was problematic. And then here's here's Rustin, you know, he's gay on top of that, and he's got yeah, as you explained, all these tensions. With all these organizations that he needs to work with, they need to work with him. And so that dynamic, I guess, that was built into the structure just simply because of the events was enough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm always up for more experimentation, more, you know, more in a film. But I thought that this had enough going on in it that uh, I'm so I was certainly much happier with this. And I, yeah, maybe it's not fair because I saw it in like the same, you can almost call it the same breath as Maestro, which is not fair to uh, to Rustin. Um, but I would definitely recommend Rustin. And I, I really hope Coleman Domingo gets recognition as an actor for this performance. I think it's, um, like I said, it's got much more grace and much more, um finesse much more there's there's different facets of this individual that we can see thanks to the director thanks to the actor you know Mm -hmm. yeah they definitely add a little more much more context and i saw rustin i guess when it premiered at tiff back in september so there's for me there's a lot of um leeway between that and watching maestro and i would still pick rustin over maestro um because yeah. I, I just I, I just think it's 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 far more interesting in terms of i felt like i learned something about the character i understood the the conflicts even the conflicts with you know the quote-unquote allies the the people that are you know not necessarily of the black community but claim to want to help the black community but then at the same time will only help to a certain point you know and yeah, yeah. kind of when he's telling them no you need to go further they're instantly kind of pushing back and reverting into ways that would essentially keep black people oppressed like all that stuff is is far more fascinating than thinking back to maestro where you go well yes he had some challenges but at the end of the day it's 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 a love story but a fractured one but not as not that interesting of what was here you have a lot of different romantic relationships and some of them are are heartbreaking in terms of yeah. you know his inability to commit and also just the way how laws and people hiding who they they really are uh, so it's you know i would recommend rustin over the two and i i just think the performances are in both films are great but i think 
Domingo really, really stands out. Yeah, I, th- I think also there's something about the way you things just now made me realize that I, I did like how the, the film gave me a sense of, of history, like moving forward at the time, you know, like being able to even think about putting on a march on Washington, like planning for thousands of people, thousands of black people to go to Washington and the tension between that and some people going, well, you, you know, you can't, as a black person, you can't even, you know, and putting, trying to put that into context. So it was like, it, the film was giving you a sense of like this forward thinking. It was Rustin's dream. They weren't focusing on Martin Luther King's dream. It was like this forward thinking sense of we can do this. Right. Mm-hmm. With also this tension between the past of, wait it's still 1963 right and us in the in the current time looking back on 1963 and going ah look look what they accomplished in 1963 but look what they had to deal with in 1963 and it's like that tension there i think is is what fascinated me i can i can definitely see that since we're talking the last two films we've been talking about real life people um, let's transition to a film that is loosely based off of real life people, but um, is a fictional film. And it is the new film by director Todd Haynes, and it's May, December, um, which has had its theatrical run um, and now is actually available on Netflix. So a lot of people are going to be able to discover this really great film. And the film essentially tells the story of um, three people and you have this couple Gracie and Joe um, played by Julianne Moore and Charles Melton and they're living in their little home with their I think three children and one day this actress named Elizabeth played by Natalie Portman comes to spend some time with them because she's going to be playing Gracie in a TV movie and you find out as the film unfolds that Gracie was a bit of some tabloid fodder about 22 years ago when her uh, when she and joe first met joe was underage i believe he was 12 at the, the 13. time 13, 13 at the time and she was 36 or something and he yes. was 13. yeah and they started in a relationship and she went to jail and had his child and when she was released, had another child, they got married. And this is very much like the, um, I think it was Mary Kay Letourneau uh, yeah. story. Like that, basically that real life story is kind of the impetus for, for this film. What Ton Haynes does with this film though, is he mixes um, certain comedic beats at the beginning to kind of just establish the, the ridiculousness of the, the situation that Gracie and Joe find themselves in. And also kind of let you know that Gracie may not be the the sweet homemaker that she appears to be on the outside. But as the film evolves, you get this really heart-wrenching drama about two women who are essentially mirroring each other in certain ways. And the one man that is basically being... I would say abused by both of them, but in different ways. He's being used by yeah, both of them yeah. in different ways. And it's really uh, a fascinating look at not only like celebrity tabloid culture, but the ways individuals who 
are hurt, either tend to hurt people or through their own selfish means will indulge in things, but not take accountability for it and the the lingering impacts um, on it. I think it's a wonderful film. I, I'm, I'm glad that it's on Netflix now that more people are, are getting a chance to see it because this is one that you're going to want to talk about. Um, and it's just great performances all around. Yeah, I think people should get ready for this one because uh, there's so much going on. As you said, there's comedic beats, but also it, I just it, I was thrown thrown back at the beginning by because I hear this dramatic piano and I'm like, what is that? And then I realized as the film, the film, because Todd, Todd Haynes loves to play with narrative form, right? And what he keeps doing is he's following sort of the narrative trajectory of this woman who's unraveling, like who's delving into the past and unraveling the details, right? And so it unravels like mystery. So he's doing that. But it's also this this story that is as you say it was tabloid fodder so this music you start to realize like this is like movie of the week music this is like a soap opera music but then todd haynes pulls you back in and it's like no no but this is like a serious film and and he just keeps toying with us in this amazing way and he's toying with them and he's toying with us and yeah as you say the character of joe just like you know as a 13 year old and i would call him a child i would call him her whatever identity a person has at 13 who an adult chooses to have a relationship with that 13 year old is being yeah used i'm not going to use the victim word but i want to you know, and then he's in this situation where there's a push pull between these two women because one is like trying to get at the core of their story and the other one is trying to hide the core of their story. Or is she? And that's why I mean about a mystery. It's like, what exactly is going on in this story? And it's like, in terms of like, we've been talking, like, we started off talking about surface with Maestro. And in terms of surface, things that look a certain way on the surface. And then he, the way that Todd Haynes toys with us, it's like, okay, there's a lot going on under the surface, but can we get under there? Are they allowing us? Who's in charge of this? Who is in charge of this story? And how can we get in there better? And is Todd Haynes going to let us? Are the characters going to let us? It's, it, it, I know what I'm saying. It sounds insane, but, but, there was, yeah, as you said, for these comedic beats every once in a while, and you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> they just pull pull you back. They, they're like, okay, step back a minute and think about that, right? Yeah, it's a very, it's a very layered film, and I think the comedic beats allow us to digest the eeriness of what Gracie has done, and also the way how because of Gracie's past or just her own personality, she is never willing to accept that she is in the wrong or that she might have ever been in the wrong. But there's a lot of pain that's not being addressed by her kind of not accepting accountability. And then also to her children, you see her 
almost being jealous of like her daughter's youth and beauty. So she's always taking digs to quietly make the daughter's self-esteem feel less. And like Gracie always has to be on the pedestal, but then doesn't want to necessarily take responsibility for why she's being placed on the, the pedestal mm-hmm. and, and how it impacts all the other people around her, both in the community, those who are trying to not necessarily forgive and forget, but at least forgive and move on versus those who are damaged and refuse to move on and, you know, are just appalled that they have lived this life for how many years in their community. Like it's a really fascinating film that there's a lot to dissect here and it's just a wonderful, wonderful film. Yeah, and, the, and uh, you know the the mirroring that you said was going on between Gracie and uh, the actress Elizabeth, and Elizabeth, it's like okay, so as mirroring, we get into that. It's like, how much how much responsibility is Elizabeth taking? Should she be taking like all her questions, all her? I'll leave that for the audience. Mm-hmm. To, you know go watch the film and, and see like watch that dynamic there's there are like as you said it's layered and there are so many dynamics going on that uh oh, i i can't wait to this one and <laughs> just dive dive <laughs> in and like do it again see, yeah. so, see what else i can unpack right um you know what let's end off on another film that that i've seen and it, it opens this week um that there's a lot to unpack. Um, and when you talk about Tom Hades um, pulling you in different directions, uh, I just have to say, wait till you see Poor Things, uh, the new <laughs> film by Yorgos Lentimos. Uh, this is the director who made Dog Tooth, uh, The Favorites, Killing of a Sacred Deer. Uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the one that he did with Colin Farrell and uh, Rachel Weiss that was really good. Um, oh yes, it, yeah. it, it will it will come to me at some point. But again, all great films, and I really enjoyed Poor Things. It's you, IMDb has it labeled as a romance sci-fi, which I don't know if I would use those labels. Um, <laughs> definitely a science fiction thing. It's I would say it's more of a satirical comedy. Um, that infuses elements of definitely science fiction, steampunk, what have you. And it's all about the, how do I say this? The self-discovery of a woman played by Emma Stone, and her name is Bella, who essentially is getting out into the world for the first time, or at least so we think it's the first time. What is made clear early on is that Bella has been reanimated you know something tragic happened in her life and a mad scientist type of doctor played by william defoe has reanimated her so she's very much like this childlike creature that is essentially learning everything how to talk how to eat properly what have you and through a series of events she meets this man by the name of Duncan, who's played by Mark Ruffalo, just as Bella is discovering her own sexuality and decides she's going to take off with Duncan, see the world. And as she's off with Duncan and she's learning more about herself sexually, 
she's also starting to take in more of the world and also starting to read more, starting to interact with different people and becoming her own woman. Um, and that's as far as I will will say. Uh, it is a very funny, surrealist take. Um, I, I'm hesitant to call it a feminist film because I, I feel like her coming to terms with her sexuality and her empowerment is still very much from a male director's perspective. Um, there's a whole lot of sex in, in this movie, but it's also, there's a lot of comedy and characters kind of shift roles in terms of level of power um, and dominance in, in quite amusing ways. Uh, one of the things though, that I did find really fascinating is how well this film holds everything together. It's juggling so many different story threads up in the air. As I said, the, the comedy is very surrealist, very broad humor. There's there's a little slapstick at, in a few points. Um, got a great cast, but it it all works. Um, visually, it's fascinating. It's one, again, that I will wait for more people to see before I really dive into. It's it's definitely different. Those who are talking about you know they want more original cinema <laughs> you've got poor things so if you <laughs> if you enjoy Lantimos's uh, other works then i'm pretty sure you will love this one as well yeah wait till this one hits theaters mm -hmm. that sounds amazing it uh, sounds like that is going to be the chat of the holiday season or uh, at least at the top of the list it for for cinephiles yes um there are other films like uh, the new Wonka film that I think a lot of families will be talking about. The Color Purple will have people, you know, but the Hardcore Cinephiles definitely. And this is Emma Stone, like you've never seen her before. Like she, she just goes for it. So in many ways, it had me thinking back to his work in um, Dogtooth, you know, not necessarily as raw or jarring but just that kind of bold sense of filmmaking and then to you have a actress of emma stone's caliber just being completely game um for for whatever he throws at her is, is quite quite fascinating but i think amazing. yeah go ahead and i and I, the last thing i'll say about it is um i i found it to be a really interesting commentary on the fragility of the male ego and how men like to, especially when it comes to like relationships and interactions with women like to kind of control and dominate. And yet when they're challenged, they immediately become defensive and then kind of like man, baby whiny kind of, it's just, it's it, there's, I think there's more, I got more of it as a, as a commentary on the male fragility of the male ego than necessarily as like a, a, feminist take on on a liberated woman so that sounds kind of feminist though <laughs> yes but i think the when feminist you... in me is interested in what you just said yes and i think but i I'm, I'm very interested to hear a few more female takes on it just because the her becoming liberated doesn't necessarily feel wholly how a female director would have approached it uh -huh. Even in terms of when it comes to the sexu sexuality aspect of it, like it, it still felt very male in its approach. Um, but 
if you look at it as a commentary on the male ego from a male's perspective, then I'm like, yes, it, it works far better than saying it's that's why I'm a little hesitant to say, oh, it's a feminist film, because yes, it's trying to be, but I think it says more about men than it does women. And hmm. I think if it was more feminist, it would it would say more about women than it does men. Interesting. Yeah. Again, this I could be I can be way off. I'm sure there'll be some listeners of it like, you know, that's not the proper <laughs> feminist take, but I think if you see the film, I, you know, I think it's. But that's it's why we want we want people to engage, right? It's like this is the beginning of it, a very interesting conversation, mm-hmm. Courtney, that you have just started. Like that's what we want out of our cinema. We want conversations to start. The cinema, the 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 piece of art that we're viewing is going to start the conversation, and then we continue it and. Maybe we're going to be really loud about it, about disagreeing <laughs> with each other. Maybe not. But um, oh, that's the hope, part of the point of what we're doing, right? Yep. That, what keeps me going. I'm just looking for these conversations. So Yeah, and this is definitely one that will uh, get people talking. So Excellent. Fantastic. All right. So with that kind of energy in mind, we're going to close off the show and uh, send you out into the cinemas or send you into your living rooms or wherever you keep your TVs, your Netflix, uh, your whatever device. Yeah. You're streaming. Just go watch, 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 watch and listen and enjoy and talk about these things. And, Mm. uh, but that's it for us for this week. So for Courtney Spa, I'm Barbara Gosofsky. This has been Frameline. Thanks for listening.